Welcome to Born to be Breastfed with your host, Marie Biancuso. Our program aims to help you bust through the breastfeeding myths and ensure you and your baby enjoy the breastfeeding journey. Over the next hour, we'll help you figure out how to overcome the obstacles you might encounter and how to incorporate breastfeeding into your busy life. Now, here is your host, Marie Biancuso. Hi, everyone. I'm Marie Biancuso. I'm your host for Born to be Breastfed, where every week we bust the myths and clarify the facts about breastfeeding and beyond. Now, today we're sticking pretty much in the breastfeeding lane, but from an angle that you might not have thought about before, and that is the role of the IBCLC. And for that, I have asked my guest, Judy Eastburn, to join us. Judy, welcome to the show. Thank you. I have to tell you, folks, when I went looking for somebody who has been a very well-respected IBCLC lactation consultant for many years, the person whose name kept coming to the top of the list was Judy Eastburn. Now, let me tell you just a little bit about Judy, and you can read the rest for yourself. But uh, Judy Eastburn actually earned a Bachelor of Science degree from medical technology at the University of Austin, Texas. Uh, However, she became a mother and then a La Leche League leader. And in 1987, she passed the IBLCE board exam, and then she opened private practice right outside of uh, Dallas, She also founded the Dallas Lactation Consultant Association, and she was the president of the Dallas Area Breastfeeding Alliance from 2006 until 2017. Now, just to let you know, Judy is now retired, but people are still banging on her door. She retired after 30 years of practice as an IBCLC. She does, however, continue to serve as the organizer for the annual summer seminar. Judy, you have such a long and uh, vigorous uh, stint at being a lactation consultant in private practice. Tell us, why did you want to do lactation consulting in a private practice as opposed to a hospital or a clinic or something else? What was your motive there? Well, it it actually started um, very quietly, like a, like, like a, a, a little cloud in the sky. I um, was a new mother, and I was just learning about breastfeeding and ran into some snags and got involved with La Leche League and then saw how much La Leche League had helped me. And so I became a La Leche League leader. And then that led me to becoming a board-certified lactation consultant several years later. Um, And I just, uh, you know, at that point, most people had never even heard of a professional lactation consultant. So I started out just in a private practice in my home, very, very slowly, and um, that was really the best place for me. Um, I still had uh, children, and I could have children at home, and I could um, put together um, um, activities with them and my work because, frankly, in the very beginning, in the in the mid '80s, uh, there weren't many calls for 
my services because nobody had sure. ever heard of such a thing. And so sure. uh, it was a it was a good combo of 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 being able to be a stay at home mom and see mothers at the same time. Now that did change as time went on, and I got busier and busier. Um, the issue of of working elsewhere um, is kind of a complicated issue. In some places in the country, a board certified lactation consultant can work in a hospital. And in some places, you cannot. You have to be a registered nurse. And since my degree was in medical technology and I didn't have a degree in nursing, that would have made it a lot more complicated as far as my being a hospital-based LC. Yeah, and I just want to reiterate for those of you who are listening, I've written a couple of blog posts about that very topic. And I agree totally with what Judy is saying that in some places you can, in some places you seemingly cannot. Even if you are in a hospital, there are some complexities that you might not want to deal with. So uh, I agree with all of that, and I've expounded on that. If you want to read a little bit on uh, my blog at mariebiancuso.com. So, Judy, at what point did you realize that maybe uh, doing home visiting was something that you wanted to explore? Well, that's a really interesting question because in the beginning, um, I had a space in my home where mothers could come in the front door and go directly into the room that I would see them in, and and um, um, and that seemed to be a reasonable thing for me to do. Um, and my husband was more comfortable with that. It seemed a little scary to both of us to go into someone's home that we didn't know, and, um, you know, we live in a big city, and we thought, mm, maybe maybe safety-wise, that's not such a good idea. But sure. as time went on, um, I got calls from people who begged me to come to them, and then I started doing home visits and began to see how wonderful it was to see mothers in their own setting. Um, when I lived in Dallas for the first um, 15 years of my work, um, I would say most, uh, about a quarter were home visits and three quarter were were office visits there in my home. When we moved outside of Dallas, about 15 miles north of the Dallas area in a suburb, I started doing almost 100% home visits. Wow. Um, and um, and and I really began to really love doing home visits, even though it was a whole lot of trouble, and it meant that I couldn't see as many people. Um, I really loved being able to meet people in their own environment, see what else was going on, see what their other stressors were in this mother's life, um, maybe even meet some of the other family members, so I could see the family. Um, sometimes instead of just the mother and the baby. And that really helped me to help the mother. Sure. Because I was just about to ask you what was so appealing, but it sounds to me like what was so appealing was that you got a much clearer and broader view of what really was going on with that mother and baby. Indeed, indeed. Now, sometimes it was a royal pain because (laughs) occasionally I would be asked to see someone that lived in downtown Dallas in a high-rise apartment, 
there, it was complicated as far as finding parking and then yep. locating the apartment and so on. So logistically, and of course, I'm carrying a scale, my equipment bag, um, um, the uh, the gear that I needed uh, in case um, I, I needed something special to work with that mother and baby. And so I felt like a pack horse. But so <laughs> it wasn't exactly convenient, um, and especially in apartment houses where you had to go up three flights of stairs. It was always on the third floor. But, um, you know, that was just part of it, and I included that as part of my exercise for the day. So uh, (laughs) didn't always make it simple. It's a lot easier for them to come to me. And I also had to think about the safety of the mother because some of these mothers that I saw were fresh out of the hospital. Some of them were on medications that made it not as safe for them to be driving. Um, And so my coming to them was could also be a safety issue for them. Sure. Sure. And I've been to Dallas many times, and I'm trying to think that before you had a GPS, which for the, the years in which you did your work, not having a GPS was like like the only thing you knew. So uh, I, I, I was hot with a map, go. I mean, the, the <laughs> night before, I would map out my, my uh, uh, travel plan and try to make it as efficient as possible. And I'd set my appointments based on where I had to go, and of course, what the mother's needs were as well. And so it was uh, it was quite a quite a challenge. And uh, you know, I worked for quite a long time without even a cell phone. Um, uh, and it kind of goes along with walking five miles in the snow to get to school. I realized, but well, but, <laughs> um, yeah, but now we're so used to those things. Indeed. So a a GPS was a perfect tool for somebody like me who was going to different places every single day. So uh, it took a lot of the fun out of it. (laughs) So, Judy, you have already said that when you, and this just makes common sense, that when you are seeing a client in their own home and then you're seeing the next client, well, hello, you've got to build in travel time and so forth so you cannot see as many clients in a day. Do you charge extra for a home visit? I I did I did charge extra, and uh-huh. for a while I tried to base it on the um, the mileage, and then I decided that I would just have one fee for them to come to me, and yeah. one fee fee for me to go to them, unless they were way way out. And occasionally I would have somebody that would um, talk me into seeing them. Um, and they were maybe an hour and a half or two hours away. And so I would charge a, you know, an additional fee, which most sure. of the time they were very happy to pay because of, of sure. their need. And, and, and they did also have the option of coming to me as well. So they just felt like it was worth it to pay that extra fee to come to them. But yes, you do have to, as a business person, as well as a lactation consultant, I had to factor all of that in as far as my being able to maintain my work. Absolutely. And Judy, when the client contacted you and told you that what was going on and said that they need an appointment with you, did, did you automatically just give them the option of the in-home visit versus the come-to-your-own-office visit? I, I did. Um, uh-huh. And what I found it found interesting was that I even had on occasion somebody that would live in my my little community uh, uh, 20 miles north of Dallas. They still wanted me to do a home visit even though they were five minutes from me. They just wanted me to come to them, but I always oh. gave them the option. 
I can understand that, though. I can really understand that. Yeah. They were just Uh, more comfortable. Yeah, and I've seen mothers in their own homes, and certainly... Well, the th- when you said the three flights of stairs, I, I instantly I was just thinking, oh, yeah, then that means that if I'm not walking up those stairs, then that mother is walking down the stairs and back up the stairs and so forth and so on. Now, in Dallas, yep. it's probably not all that bad, but even in northern Virginia, where I live, uh, we get some some snow. I mean, it's not like where I grew up outside of Rochester, New York, but yeah, <laughs> the, the mother has to negotiate all of these environmental things, and sometimes that's a bit much. Just, and, and by the way, she's got a tiny baby and probably some other kids in tow. And, and, and maybe had a C-section. Yes, as a third yeah. of the mothers do, although I guess earlier that was not so bad. But anyway... Yeah. Um, were the, so would you describe the home visits, the biggest con there, the biggest negative would be the travel, the finding it, that sort of thing? Um, yes. Um, and, and I would say that that would be kind of a, a minor con. It was just, it was just something that, um, you know, everyone has to you think about when, if they're going to go into a practice, um, do I want to spend the time getting caught in the traffic? It depends on what what city you live in and whether you're going to spend an hour getting home because the traffic is bad, um, and whether that's an issue or not for you. Um, you know, I mean, some of the other crazy things that I would run into would be people would have pets, and I oh, had mm-hmm. pets that would jump up on me and, and not oh, not right. be good dog citizens. And, um, and uh, occasionally there would be outside noises that would be disturbing. But yeah. you just kind of learn to roll with that. Roll with and, it, yeah. Yeah. Um, uh, and and realize that that's also something that the mother is having to deal with too. And Judy, did you ever actually rent office space, or did you just stick with having a room in your home for when people visited you? Yeah, I thought and thought many many times, um, especially when I was going to move out away from Dallas. I was afraid that would gonna that was really going to interfere with my uh, ability to um, continue to get. Um, clients, um, and so I kept thinking I need to get office space, and I never did, and interestingly, moving out of Dallas didn't interfere at all with my work. It just meant that I had to drive more, so that's, you know, one of those one of those things about living in a big city, but um, no, I never did. I have um, colleagues who did go ahead and rent office space. It is expensive. Because yes. most of the time you're not there if you want to do home visits. So I never <laughs> right. did pursue that. I thought about it, but I never acted on it. Never, never did it. Uh, Judy, do you? T- I often have this conversation with uh, people who are aspiring to be an IBCLC, and they worry a lot about uh, people's insurance plans and all of that stuff. And I often say to them, have you considered having a cash-only business? How did you roll with that, Judy? Did you take people's private insurance, or did you just tell them it was cash on the barrel head and that's the way you did business? Well, um, 
it's a, a very interesting question. In the in the first say twenty years, there was not even any, even any thought that insurance would cover right. this. Right. Um, right. Then then there were little whisperings, and then there was an issue with one insurance company that had a collaboration with USLCA, and I thought, ah, oh, this is. This is nice. There we go. Um, and uh, then I would get calls from insurance companies. And and then with Affordable Care Act, when it came in, that was supposed to solve all the problems. It didn't. It did not. Um, and wow. I think that now there are more ways for like patient consultants to offer insurance coverage. Um, and as I was closing my practice in 2017, I was getting more information from insurance companies saying, uh, we will cover six visits. I'm thinking, good grief, I've never seen anybody six times, but okay. I was just going to say, if you can't solve their problem by then, you're <laughs> you're not with yeah, yourself. Right. <laughs> well, I did have a couple of cases that were so complicated that, uh, and then, of course, I was bringing other uh, disciplines in at the same time, and they were fascinating. Um, but... Um, most of the time, I would say, I do not know if your insurance will cover this, so I'm going to need for you to pay me, and then I will provide you with the forms to submit to your insurance company, right. and that's what they would do, Absolutely. unless I actually got a call or a letter from the insurance company beforehand, and they said, we will cover this, and your fee is fair, so we will cover that fee. And then I was perfectly happy to get the check from the insurance company instead of the family. On very, very rare occasions, the insurance company changed their mind. And then I would go back to the family and say, I am so sorry, but they never did cover it. I want you to be aware of that. And most of the time, I would just eat it. Um, But that was very rare. The hassle. Yeah. No, in my opinion... What you did was appropriate, uh, desirable, because, Judy, you've got to have seen the providers that I've seen where they have an army of people that they're employing just to submit that insurance. Yes. And that's an extra headache that I just, I think is, well, it's just an extra headache. And by the way, I guess I want to clarify what you said about the six visits. Certainly when I think six visits, I think that's a lot, but I do want to point out for the listeners, Judy said up to six visits. And Mm -hmm. I can absolutely see situations where you could have a very complex case where you might need the six visits, but my guess is that they're not going to approve six visits for everybody when it's a fairly open and shut case. Uh, Judy, also, uh, here's uh, one of the things that I guess I'm interested in. Mothers come to us with all sorts of issues, but I've been in this business long enough to know that they swirl around two or three main issues, uh, but I don't live where you live. So where, what would you say are the two or three main issues that they have mothers have sought your help for? Well, I think the big three are nipple pain, yep. weight gain, yep. and latch, babies yep. that won't latch. Yep. Those are the those are the big ones, and then, and then I guess under that you might throw in um, re- repeated mastitis or um, you know 
babies that are not gaining, even though they seem to be nursing well. You know, but but yeah, um, lots of sore nipples. I was going to throw in not enough milk, but of course that's related to the weight gain issues, and it's related can to be. the lack. Yeah, can be. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Uh, I would yeah, and, and and so then you have to tease all that out. Well, does the oh, mother have plenty of milk, but the baby's still not gaining? Uh, right. Oh, and oh, and yes, I've got sore nipples. So I mean, <laughs> so many of these things are so tied together. Interrelated. So I always felt Absolutely. I felt like I was a detective. Oh yeah. Oh, you are. Yeah. Yeah, you know, absolutely, because um, I know that sometimes when people come to my course, sometimes I will give a little uh, uh, scenario and somebody says, well, uh, about the mother making more milk, making more milk. And I say, whoa, 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 wait, wait a minute. We don't know that the mother has an inadequate milk supply. What we know is that the baby is not getting the milk. Now, mm-hmm. that may be, may be because she doesn't have enough milk, but it may be due to something totally different. And it's so important to make sure that you kind of really know what's what's going on. You you can only fix the you kind of got to fix the the root of the problem certainly. And before we go on, hey everyone, I just want to let you know that 2020 has been a crazy year. But at MoraviaNcuso.com, we are counting our blessings. And my team and I want to show our thankfulness to you, our loyal fans, as we roll out the biggest sale of the year, November 23rd to November 30th. Now, you can save up to 20% off on our popular products, including SERP bundles, 45-hour step-up course, our online lactation review, and how about this? You want to meet me in sunny Orlando in March? Great. You can save over $200 on my comprehensive lactation course during our traditional pink week. Plus, you can get our early bird pricing on November 23rd and November 24th for selected courses and resources. And on November 23rd and 24th, you can save $50 on my comprehensive online lactation education course. So keep that in mind for pink week. And yes, of course, we will be <laughs> tackling all of those topics that Judy just talked to you about uh, because they are, you know, Judy, it kind of makes me a little bit crazy that I got into this about 40 years ago and those three or four or five issues that you just identified, those have been the issues for the last 40 something years that I know of. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And it's really pretty amazing that we're still solving those problems but oh man it's just it's so important so judy help me with this i cannot tell you and by the way i i've taught live in dallas every year since 2004 um i often say that i encourage people to come to a live course because they get to have what i call these hallway conversations so In these hallway conversations, and often this happens after the course, people say to me, I want to be an an IBCLC lactation consultant in private practice because I want to have more time to myself. How how would you respond to that? Well, (laughs) it sounds good. Yeah. Um, However, um, 
And if anybody wanted to sit down and talk with my husband or my children, who are now all <laughs> adults and have their own children, uh, all breastfed, all, all grandchildren were breastfed too, thank goodness, um, they would say, uh, maybe not. Um, and the reason for that, and I, and I don't say this to discourage anyone from pursuing this as a career, because it's so important. We have to be available to help mothers with breastfeeding, for sure. Um, and, um, you know, I, I was board certified for 30, but I was a little league leader for 12, so that's 42 years. That's a long time oh, to be helping lot. mothers with breastfeeding. Um, but, it, but it is time-consuming. And um, I not only have to be a lactation consultant, but I have to be a businesswoman too. If I'm if I'm going to work in my own practice versus being hired by WIC or being hired by a hospital, I'm a businesswoman as well. So there are two parts to this, and it does take time, and people have to factor that in. Um, uh, now, you clearly could say, well, I'll only take um, one mother a day, or I'll only work three days a week. I mean, you, you can put limits on how much time you spend, but you still have the business end of it to do no matter how many people you do. Um, so uh, it, it needs to be entered into with that thought that, um, it, it's still time-consuming because these mothers depend on us to help them. And um, I not only saw the mothers, but I then talked with them on the phone afterwards. Um, yep, and yep, yep. Um, I wrote a report to the doctor. Um, and uh, the report has to be concise. And it's much easier to write a long report than it is to write a short one. Totally because you agree. have to be very careful with your words so that you give him exactly what he needs to know in a very short, concise piece of information. So um, there's, um, there's a bit of, of uh, finesse to all of this, and some of it comes with practice, but sure. I, I would never want anybody to think, oh, well, I'll just work part-time so it won't, it'll be easy. <laughs> yeah, it doesn't really that's, work that, that way. That's where you need to sit down with a, an experienced lactation consultant and help uh, have her help you kind of figure out how to how to make all this work. Judy, uh, you know, something that was always kind of bothersome to me was that when I saw that a woman needed a phone call back, I knew that once I got on that phone, there's no such thing as a 5-minute phone call. <laughs> Am I oh, right? That came right out of my husband's mouth. Um indeed. And um, you know, another part of my work for the longest time was pump rentals because oh, in the right. very beginning when I started my practice, uh, there there were no pump rental stations. There were no hospitals renting pumps. There were no yeah. decent purchasable pumps. And so I started renting out pumps and I would, um, uh, a mother would come and pick up a pump. I bet I'd spend 30 minutes talking to her. I might sure. drop off a pump. And I'd say, I'll, I'll just be in for just a minute, honey. And he'd say, oh. okay, I'll pick my book up. I know we're going to be here for a few minutes because <laughs> it just required some mothering and some yes. assistance and some clarification and so on. So it, it, this is a ministry. I would agree. I certainly know that 
when I see that mother's need and when I say to myself, "Ah, I don't have to take that phone call or, oh, I'll just be five minutes on the phone. There's no such a thing because (laughs) I know that I'm going to follow that up because my heartstrings, uh, uh, she's pulling on my heartstrings. I want to help her, but it is not a short stint. It just never is. Judy, go back to the part about uh, being a pump rental depot. First of Mm -hmm. all, I know that that's another stream of income. Okay, got it. But was that a little bit of a nuisance? Uh, If you had it to do over again, would you sell or rent equipment? Why or why not? Talk to us a little bit about it, because that's a little bit different of a role. Okay. Um, I would absolutely do it all exactly the way I did it, Um, although it would have been way easier had I had a cell phone when I had the peak of my pump rentals. Um, uh, Those didn't exist then, and I I actually had 220 pumps in my pump rental station, so I had a bucket load of pumps, and I handled it all by myself, but I'm kind of a high-energy kind of person anyway, which is helpful. Um, I would do it again because it allowed me to get in touch with that many more mothers and help them because, yes, they got a little bit of me along with the pump. I don't know that any of that really exists anymore because as time went on, well, by the time I was ready to retire, I was down to like, I think, 15 pumps because hospitals rent the pumps um, and other, you know, gosh, Babies R Us was renting pumps. Oh, sure. Uh, all kinds of places were. So it, 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 it changed a lot. And so I don't know if that income stream is even available to like patient consultants anymore. And then, of course, insurance companies started providing fairly right. decent fairly decent pumps um, as part of their maternity package. So that that kind of uh, stepped into the pump sales. And so uh, life is very different now, I'm sure, even more different than it was even three years ago when I retired. Uh, so I don't know if that helps or not. But Well, yeah, What because I, I heard you sort of imply that some women might not have found you in the first place if it hadn't been that you rented the pumps. Yes. So, yes, indeed. So, yeah. I, I got so that. That, I, that helped them to find me, and uh, and sometimes after having rented a pump, then they say, you know, I really need to make an appointment with you, and that was yeah, fine. that's what I'm thinking. Um, yeah. And if she lived someplace where I felt like it would be better for Susie Smith that lives on the other side of town to see her, I would say, you know, she's a lot closer to you. You might give her a call and see how. You know, uh, and um, so, you know, there was some trading back and forth a little bit, too, sure. Uh, sure. between, like, patient consultants. Um, so I, I didn't do it for the purpose of getting more clients. Uh, it just happened that way. Sure. Um, sure. And, uh, you know, I don't know if you want me to get into this the, this area, but there there's other pieces of equipment, too, that some mothers oh, yeah. don't need. Yeah. Not all of them do. I was... Um, I'm, I'm very much a conservative person as far as stuff myself, and I wanted that for my mothers. I didn't want them to have stuff. I wanted them to be able to breastfeed with a minimum of stuff because, to me, that's what breastfeeding is all about. You need one breast, hopefully one functioning breast and a baby, 
and a stack of diapers would be nice. Um, and um, hopefully that's all you need. But sometimes you need other stuff. And so I would have nipple shields and and supplemental nursing systems. I had feeding tubes and syringes. I had those kinds of items with me if we felt like we needed them, but I tried to hold back if I could. Yes. Well, see, that's always been my philosophy. I guess I had an experience many years ago where there was a woman and she had come to my course. I guess she'd come to my review course because she was already an IBCLC. But somehow she invited me to her office after the course finished for the day. And it was very close by. It was, as I remember, pretty much within walking distance. And um, when she showed me her office, she showed me literally a room full of equipment. Mm. And I just remember thinking, I don't know what to say here. But Mm -hmm. to me... That message to the mother is, in order to breastfeed, you have to have a room full of equipment. And I I do not believe in that. But, of course, you got to remember, Judy, I have a a hand can opener. I don't have an electric can (laughs) opener. I'm I'm a little bit of a minimalist, okay? Well, well, (laughs) me too. Me too. And, um, you know, I... You know, there's all kinds of things out there that mothers are led to believe that they need, and in most cases, you can make do with something else that costs a, a quarter of the amount or something that you, like nursing pillows. Uh, you know, most of the time, I didn't use nursing pillows except for maybe one under an elbow, Um and uh, even that, sometimes we didn't need. Um, so, I, yeah, it, it, I remember hearing stories about um, mothers seeing someone and felt like that they were just being uh, encouraged to spend a whole lot of money on stuff. Yeah. And I just never, never wanted that, that to just, be connected with my name. Yeah, it just does not work for me at all. But that's just me, and I guess it's, it's you. Um, Judy, I don't know how many questions I get about obtaining liability insurance mm-hmm. for somebody who's in private practice. Can you speak to that? Um, I think it's very important. Uh, fortunately, I never needed it, but that's why you have insurance. You hope you never need it. <laughs> right, um, right. And uh, it's like fire insurance for your house. Um, but, um, yes, I, um, have had, had liability insurance from the time that, that I first, uh, started seeing mothers and, um, I got my first liability insurance through, um, a collaboration with, I believe it was Ilka and, uh, it was inexpensive. Um, I think. I think it was like $100 for the year, and um, and then every year I just renewed it, and, and it changed companies several times. They did it. I didn't. Um, sure. Uh, sure. Somebody bought them out and whatever, um, but I felt very strongly that, uh, that that's very important. Um, and, um, and then um, for a short period of time, I did some contract work with a um, uh, lady out in California with a um, breastfeeding program for an insurance company. It was a perk, and they provided my services, and this was just a little add-on. She asked me because she needed people in different parts of the country, and she required me to have another kind of insurance as well so that if Mm -hmm. somebody um, 
were walking up my sidewalk oh, yeah. um, and tripped, yes. um, it would be covered. Or if, um, uh, or if I was going to that work site and I dropped something on somebody's toe, you know, right. that kind of insurance as well. So there's lots of different kinds of insurance. And I did check in with my own insurance agent to see if I needed to get something on my home insurance policy for having people come into my home. And uh, um, and because of the kind of policy I had, I did not need to do that. But that's something that people need to check on. Yes. Because yes. it would be Especially terrible yeah, yeah. for a mother to be walking up your sidewalk, <laughs> trip and fall and break her leg, and then decide to sue you because you have a crack in the sidewalk. Yes. Uh, and, you know, I'm a little bit rusty on those issues because I have an office, and the office... Uh, their groundskeepers are responsible for that, or at least that's my understanding. I hope I, I hope I've got that understanding <laughs> correct. Uh, but I've also been required to have what I call briefcase insurance, and I don't know what you call it, but Judy, you just mentioned it. If somebody stubs their toe or whatever, this the first time that I had to have this was when I did a, a presentation for I'm going to say WIC. I don't know who it was, but it was some big organization. And they said, well, how much insurance do you carry for blinkety-blunk? And I can't remember what they called it. And I said, I'm sorry, I don't even know what that is. And they said, well, you know, like if you put your briefcase down in the aisle and if somebody trips over it, you're liable. And I'm thinking, mm-hmm. even though I'm on your property, if it's my briefcase, I'm uh, okay. So yeah. we got the insurance, and ever since then, I've called it briefcase insurance because I don't know what it is, but you you bring that up, and I had forgotten about that, but you're absolutely right. Yeah, but the liability insurance for your practice, practice. Yeah. is very important, too. And when I was a La Leche yeah. League leader, La Leche League International, if you were a certified, like patient, or certified La Leche League leader, you had liability insurance through the international organization. Yeah, um, but as a private practice LC, I was on my own, and so yeah. um, uh, I had to have that liability insurance in case something went astray. And maybe it wasn't my fault, but that doesn't keep them from going after you. Sure, sure. So you know, this um, would be a good time for me to remind the listeners that Judy is not an attorney. I am not an attorney. This is not legal advice. Okay. But we are just telling you, don't blow this off. You need to contact your attorney and you need to get set up if you're going to be doing this kind of stuff. So just like, I I like what Judy said. It's like fire insurance for your house. You hope you never need it, but that's why you have it. Judy, you've come to a, a point, though, where it really leads me into what I think is my last question here. And that is about being a business owner. Mm-hmm. I find that a lot of us who have really good clinical skills, you know, we kind of think we're hot shots in our own right. But this whole bit of running a business, I think, is like another whole skill set. I didn't go to school for that. I don't think you went to school for that. So I guess my question is, um, were you able to take on that whole business thing all by yourself or did you take some college classes, or did you pay some professional help? How did you get the business expertise that you needed in order to run a business? 
Well, that's a really good question, and I think part of part of what helped me was I started out so small and slowly and so new for this entire field um, because we were rare. Um, um, but uh, I just had a sense of organization and um, knew that I, if I was going to sell something, I would have to get um, a sales tax uh, through the oh, state. I, I would have to let them know. And then I, I knew that I had to have um, uh, an EIN number, an employee identification number, instead of using my yes. Social Security number. I had a little bit of help in that my husband um, is a businessman, and he um, made some suggestions. And I also got some help from a book that I don't know is even in print anymore on private practice. It was written by Linda Smith. Uh, That book came out. That book came out about oh, maybe 10 years after I was already in business. But I, I, I really kind of just used logic uh, about, okay, well, I guess I need to make sure that having a business in my home is okay in my area. And so um, I called the city of Dallas and I uh, asked them about what the rules were about having a business in your home. Um, is there any kind of um, homeowners association restriction about having a business in your home? So sure. we have to think about where we live and what you know. What about your if you live in an apartment? Do their apartment complex have a have, do they have a rule about having a business in your home? That kind of thing. Absolutely, um, absolutely. Um, and and then there's the IRS. You know, you have to declare your income. Your income, (laughs) right. I had somebody one day come and pick a pump up from me, and and I said, um, um, you can give me cash or check. I prefer checks. And he said, really? Then you have a paper trail. And I said, yes. That's why I like checks. I like paper, paper trails so I can easily keep track of it for the IRS. And he looked at me like I'd lost my mind. Well... Sorry, but I do pay taxes on my income, so you do have to keep track of it. You have to be an honest citizen and make sure that you are reporting your income. So I'm not sure I answered your question. Um, I did not take any um, courses on how to run a business, although I suspect that a uh, community college might have a business or have a course on how to start a small business, or there may be stuff online. Um, but I did have a, a bit of an in being married to a businessman, so oh. I cheated. <laughs> yeah, there's, there's a bunch of stuff online, certainly. And you mentioned the part about the income. Before we go today, I just want to mention the outgo, that is the expenses. Now, mm-hmm. in the early days, I had a credit card for my personal stuff. You know, I'm buying toothpaste or shoes or whatever I'm buying for myself, but I had a separate credit card for my business expenses. So whether it was a ream of, well, not a ream, but generally a case of paper or, you know, whatever, so that at the end of the year, I could very quickly determine, and I put as many things as I could on that credit card so that I had a paper trail that was very clear as to what my expenses were, because, of course, you can take the expenses. So I guess... I would just say to people, I don't think you need to be a complete rocket scientist, but 
I would say that you've got to be honest. You've got to know what you need to do. You've got to know what you don't have to do, but you've got to have the paper trails. And honestly, sometimes you've just You've just got to, I did my own taxes for a long time too. And then one time I said, wait a minute, hello, accountant time, CPA time. And so you do, you sort of grow into it. Judy, this has been Mm -hmm. such a fun conversation. Uh, I want you to realize that we have a lot of aspiring IBCLCs out there who are probably listening to this right now. Do you have any final thoughts, words of wisdom, inside uh, advice, sage words, <laughs> anything before <laughs> we go today, Judy? Well, anyone who is listening to this and has the desire to help mothers with breastfeeding is a special person with a special spot in their hearts for helping people. Um, and that's where I came from. I continue to do it in other directions now that I'm not helping mothers. Um, and um, I think your best bet is to just evaluate your situation, see if you um, need an income to support yourself and your children. If so, oh. you might have to think of another direction. If this is something that you really, really want to do, I think you can do it. Just do your homework. Um, Be a good listener. That's the most important thing that you can be when you're working with mothers is to be a good listener. Um, And just know that every single, and you will not help every single mother. There will be mothers that hopefully, you know, I'm sorry, there'll be some mothers that maybe don't end up breastfeeding, but you have given her the power to be a yes. good mother, um, and, um, and I found those mothers came back to me with the second baby and said, well, it didn't work so well the first time, but, boy, I want you to help me the next time, too. Oh, wow. So yeah. just, um, just know that you're making a difference, and um, um, don't be afraid of it, but just keep your eyes open as you enter into the field. Oh, I love that last piece, which is just don't be afraid of it. But do keep your eyes open. Wow. Yeah, that's a really good piece of sage advice. Uh, Judy Eastburn, IBCLC, retired. Thank you so much for being with us today. It has been a real pleasure. I think we've all been enlightened, inspired, and much more. Thank you, Judy. Thank you for coming on the show. You are so welcome. Take care, everyone. Bye-bye. And for those of you who are wondering, yes, next week we will return. There will be a next episode, and you will be um, happy to know that we now uh, are back on track for every single week. So please join us, and in the meanwhile, please know that babies were born to be breastfed. Have a great week. Thank you for tuning in this week to Born to be Breastfed. Please join Marie Biancuso next Monday at 3 p.m. Pacific Time, 6 p.m. Eastern Time on the Voice America Health and Wellness Channel. This week, do its best for you and your baby.